All right, so yeah. Yeah. Three, two, one, recording. Yeah, recording. Yeah, that's Bombay's podcast. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Three, two, one. Recording? Yeah, recording. This is Mom's Basement Podcast, episode 55. Those fucking fireworks are still going off outside my window. It's almost September. What the fuck is going on? Edition. Yeah, but we get to answer the most important question so far today. Why do we say basically every time we explain something we think is simple? (laughs) Because it's basic, dude. And it never is. When someone says basically, you know you're in for a long, pointless explanation. Essentially. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Gary Palmer, that one's for you. Okay. So, um, what the fuck are we going to talk about? This week's episode, we're going to take a break from playtesting other people's games to playtest one of Rudy's games. Yay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, selfless promotion edition. Yep. Selfless promotion? <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Selfish probation. <laughs> probation. No, Rudy was on the Rudy was on the right track. His stuff is so great that he is giving he is blessing you with the ability to hear about this game. <laughs> That's true. I think I meant shameless. Actually, that, that was a little... shameless self promotion, maybe. Yeah, yeah, something like that. No, no, Shame. no, no, I, dude, come on. It's selfless. It's selfless. I mean, if we're gonna pretend. That when people make games, they make it for other people and not themselves to be selfish fucks. We're gonna we're gonna call this game a selfless game. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that said, we're going to devote the first half an hour of this podcast to playing, to discussing, excuse me, a playtest of Rudy's new game, The Dungeon, a um. <clears throat> academic theme game just in time for back for sc- back to school and also just in time for it to be released on September 1st over at our website and then we are going to keeping with the theme of shameless self probation <laughs> we are going um Lloyd, Steve Matters suggested that we discuss how to pitch a game. And so we're going to talk about that. Pitching a game for our second topical half an hour. Pitching. <laughs> so. Pitching loaves. Yes. <clears throat> so. Let's get right into it then. Let's get right into the dungeon. Alright, well let me give you the pitch for the dungeon then. Okay. <laughs> Talking about pitches. It's very dark. It's kind of moist. <laughs> it is dark and moist sometimes. Watch out for the gelatinous cube. Yeah. And the okay. fire traps. <laughs> Anyways. <But> anyway. <laughs> the dungeon is a game uh, in the vein of Harry Potter, except uh, there's one major difference. The kids are all in special ed class. So it's basically like Harry Potter wizardy stuff going on, 
in the special ed class. It's a view inside Hogwarts' uh, special ed program, if you will. So, okay. Right. <laughs> before we get into the nitty-gritty stuff, before I ask you about the mechanics, uh, let me ask you this. Why is it called the dungeon, then? Well, there's a couple reasons. One is that, basically, um, I thought that if... <laughs> I thought that if, like, they were going to have a special ed classroom, it would be hidden, since it obviously isn't seen in the books. Right. And what better place to put it than an actual dungeon below the school? Okay. Other reason is because... Uh, when I worked at a certain school district, Submain, which will remain nameless, mm -hmm. um, there was this classroom that was a special ed classroom, and uh, the teacher is called it the dungeon because it was so, like, raunchy and rowdy. And because they didn't want to be locked in there with the kids who were basically in jail while they were in school. <laughs> yeah, essentially. So, were you having, like, flashbacks of Nom when you were uh, making this game? Not really. <laughs> yeah, this game, was, this game was so traumatic that Rudy was having flashbacks of his father's experiences in Nom. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though, in terms of your experience uh, being at that school. Well, I was definitely thinking about it when I was designing the game. And I was trying to get it right, you know, get the experience right to what it actually like felt like <laughs> at least for me anyway so yeah so is this kind of a uh, rebuttal of harry potter's like positive perspective on education you know the idea that the teachers are there to enrich the students and enlarge their minds and teach them magic you know both um both metaphoric both figuratively and literally yeah <laughs> Uh, not really, because I want the magical stuff to still be there. Basically, it's just a, um, it's just a look at what would happen if you had a special ed class that also had to deal with magical stuff. I see. In addition to behavioral problems, disabilities, and the other good stuff. So, I just thought it was an interesting place to go. But there's definitely, um... This game, like other games you've designed, definitely does not take a positive view of teachers. No, not really. Or at least of professional teachers. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. <laughs> okay. Especially, well, particularly earlier drafts of this game I saw. I guess some of the mechanics that basically encouraged the teachers to be dickheads. Had the assholes. Yeah, assholes. Yeah. To be self-serving, like, cocksuckers. Some of that has been... Um... Yeah, a lot of that's been washed washed away. Okay. So, so let's right. talk about the mechanics, then. Right. How would you describe this game mechanically, Rudy? Uh, I think you put it best last night when you said structured freeform. Um, basically, you make up teachers and you make up students, and you go at it trying to uh, 
trying to get on each other's nerves, essentially. And trying to outmaneuver each other socially. Hmm. Okay. And, and the teachers are basically trying to accomplish a series of, of objectives that they've set themselves at the beginning of the game. They yeah. come up with, in the first scene, they come up with an educa individualized education plan for the student that has three objectives. And then they basically try to manipulate the student's behavior so that those objectives are met over the course of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically that's what I think. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that was just you basic. agree with that? <laughs> That's Basically. The whole point. <laughs> yeah. Let's start saying essentially now. <laughs> yeah. And the students, what are the students trying to accomplish in this game? See, originally, and it probably didn't come through very clear when we played it last night, but the students, are, well, it might have, but the students are essentially trying to get on the teacher's nerves really bad. And stop them from uh, from doing what they're doing. Teachers teach, and the students basically resist learning. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I don't know how clearly that came through on the playtest last night because it was kind of yeah. And just so we have the whole game out there, the game is structured into two types of scenes, right? There's classroom <laughs> scenes. And then there's extracurricular scenes, or X scenes. Yep. The classroom scenes are teachers trying to teach the students. X scenes are what ha everything that happens outside of the classroom. And the students are there screwing around. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So let's talk about our experiences with this game. All right, Alex Swingle, I know you've been... Uh... You've been waiting to, to give it to me, so... <laughs> okay, give it to um, me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what I was... Uh, what I wanted to highlight there for some of the stuff in the, uh, in the, uh, in the game itself is that I mm. really enjoyed the, um, the methods that were given in order to uh, you know, allow the teachers to be fully customizable. Uh, because, right. like, you know, the, the way... It was initially pitched at me, and the way a lot of these teacher-based games are is they're severely basic, and it's usually one of those things to where you have to ham it up, and then after you get done uh, acting, you know, in quotes, mm -hmm. you roll the dice and you see if you succeed. This one mm -hmm. makes it to where that di that trivial dice roll, especially for rolls for from things like this, are just gone, and so it actually makes it to where um, all the acting portion of it is what really matters. Right, and I really like that. That that's one that's one of the things I wanted to highlight the most, and it and it also allows all styles of teaching to actually be usable, and not just like you know, if you want to be an alchemist, you have to use potions only, you know, you know shit <laughs> like that. And um, yeah, there's just that thing. I cannot say enough positive things about that portion of the rules. Um, now, uh, one thing I, I wanted to uh, to highlight there was uh, because because of the way it is currently now, though there still is a lot of freeform uh, there, and because yeah. of that, mm -hmm. it requires a lot of people to be responsible in their uh, and and how how long they have to ho they hog the scenes. So, mm -hmm. I would personally prefer 
if there would be some improvement on that section. Well, I mean, not improvement, refinement, because you know, to say that it's it, it that's an improvement would, <laughs> is insulting. Um, but yeah, I I would suggest like refining that a little bit because, um, as Will evidently did throughout the entire playtest, he spent like almost twenty minutes just asking questions and just sitting there. <laughs> And, be, and that's just because his character wanted to do is the kind of person who did that kind of stuff. But the whole yeah. point is asking maybe like three or four just like trivial random questions. Uh, that probably would have been enough. But because <laughs> he had free control to do that, he went for like 50 in a row before uh, moving on. So that's what I'm saying is the current um, the current theme of the game should have a little bit more pacing to it instead of allowing complete freeform because people like Will allow freeform to get to go that kind of way. <laughs> well, I, I would actually agree with that, although I'm not sure that the problem was one of pacing. I think that as it is right now, the game is not doesn't feel very purposeful. It doesn't feel like you are moving in a very specific direction yeah. when you're playing the game. I mean, it feels very loose in a lot of ways. I I did really like the idea of the individualized education plans, the IEPs. And I think that having those objectives definitely helped to set me on some kind of course when I was playing my teacher. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when it came time to determine whether or not those objectives were met, I think that was very loose. It was very subjective. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to what, with the situation with the trouble with Rose last week, where mm-hmm. it was a, this, the mechanic was basically a consensus mechanic or a voting mechanic to determine whether or not you, your objectives were met. And the objectives were generally broad enough or vague enough that mm-hmm. there was usually an argument. You, you could usually make an argument both ways, both that you had accomplished it and that you hadn't accomplished it. So having that nailed down a little more would be good. But I think more even than that, the game needs, I'm going to use a term that I like to use a lot, but it needs inspirational mechanics. It needs mechanics that are going to get pull pe- draw people into the game right. and keep them moving, keep them playing the game, keep the ideas flowing. Because I know I had an unusual hard time making a character just because I, I had a lot of ideas but I didn't have much focus you know it was very hard for me to take those ideas decide which one would be best for the game and really pin it on a character and one thing I suggested last night and I'll suggest it now for the podcast is having some kind of placement exam <laughs> in character generation and maybe instead of the observation scene having right. kind of placement exam where the teacher asks the student a bunch of questions and the answers to those questions, similar to the interrogation mechanic that you have at the beginning of Student Zombie, the answers to those questions shape who your character is. And maybe some of them could even be multiple choice so that the game is really directing you. Right. 
Uh, and something similar for the teachers. I don't know. It, it could be like a um, employee, like their last employee evaluation before they get dumped <laughs> in the dungeon to teach the students, where we find out why they ended up there. You know, so maybe the principal calls them into the office and uh, and asks them a bunch of questions, and then basically says, "Well, based on your performance review, this is where you're lacking, and we're moving you here because we don't want you teaching." students who have a future anymore. <laughs> um, I also would have liked to see more of more in play stuff directing you, especially for the students who, the way the game is structured right now, the students don't have, I guess you would say a win condition, but they don't really have a goal they're driving towards, at least not a mechanical one. And I would like to see something mechanically pulling them forward. And it may not have to be a competitive thing, although I do think that it would be really good to have a greater sense of competition between the students and the teachers. But it needs to be something there that is pulling you through the scenes, you know, that's keeping, uh, keeping the engine running. Right. I'd like to see that. All right. Now, what I really, what I really enjoyed about this game was all the setting content, all the descriptive text. This is one of the best written games, I think, uh, that I've read of your of your games. This is one of the ones that most impressed me with the way it was written, the the way the content was laid out, the actual you know setting content, the flavor content, the atmospheric content, whatever you call, want to call it itself. I really got a great sense of what the world of this game was, mm -hmm. and I really wanted to play it from reading it. Um, but mechanically, once I got into the game, there wasn't much driving me forward. Mm -hmm. Alex? Yep. 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 Well, well, if Alex isn't going to weigh in, I will say one more thing. I I want more Harry Potter in this in the mechanics of this game. I want yes. more magic here. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that kind of got maybe got stripped out when you transitioned between the original draft with the dice mechanics and the new draft. Mm -hmm. But I feel like and maybe that could be something you can add uh you can no you can integrate into the game when you're adding goals and stuff for the students. Is I, I really want to Right now, you could the way the game is structured right now, it could really just be a game about the dungeon at a certain high school that will remain <laughs> unnamed with the yeah. special ed kids. You know, it could be a realistic game about that. So I want more of the magical mm. stuff in there. Oh, um, speaking of that kind of stuff, I, I I wasn't a fan of your interpretation of the dungeon when we started to play the game, really, because it made it sound like it was like it was like a torture room than really was a educational room. Cause even though like, cause, like I remember you, like you, you had like, you described like the, the rooms of like, you know, they were in cages and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. And like, any, even like, like all the kids like that, um, that I went, cause like in, in elementary school, middle school, high school, we also had, um, rooms that were devoted to the, the special needs. And, and so, just by dealing, like just by dealing with that, none of them were ever like that because the ones who were too severe were probably dead or they were living at home. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, so that, but that's what I'm saying is more is I I would like um I I wasn't a fan of the way uh, you wanted to uh to to t- just tell us how how the uh, how the dungeon worked in in that scenario. Maybe sad face. Well, but I mean that can vary from scenario to scenario, right? Maybe, yeah, although Alex is onto something, maybe some kind of rules for generating the classroom itself. Yeah, because like, there really is no formalized system to do that now. Right. For creating that classroom environment, like both tangible and intangible <laughs> shit about the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Man, what I was. That's what I was going to. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's there. I want, I want more like pastel construction paper mixed in with the dank dungeon setting. You <laughs> yeah. know, like crayons and shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, Rudy. Um, well, I have some ideas. Yes. That uh, might fix some of this stuff. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Oh, uh, well, what you said about the uh the the teachers and the uh students in the beginning like the creation of the students and what you said about the student zombie mechanic was exactly along the lines of what i was thinking of okay. um but basically i was gonna i thought maybe have a parent teacher conference oh and that helps generate the iep instead of having to go through get rid of the uh the observation scene mm-hmm. and just do a straight parent teacher conference where you kind of talk through the goals and stuff that, because that's what in real life that's what they do for IEPs. It's always they always include the parents mm-hmm. and stuff. So that's that's interesting. So who would play the parent in this situation? The parent would be played probably by the student. You know, the, oh, okay. the same person playing the client. Right. So they have some control over what you know what goals they get set for them. You know. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. How about the teachers for creating your teacher? See, the teacher, I'm not sure of. What I was, what I was thinking of is maybe some kind of form or something that basically lays out, you know, what and and also something that like asks you questions like about scenarios, like job interview type forms do. Oh right. <laughs> Stuff like, well, if this was happening, what would you do in X situation? And then maybe a loose way to match you to one of the uh, the teaching types oh, yeah. based on what you how you respond yeah i think that's a really good idea so like a questionnaire basically yeah basically a questionnaire i like the idea of it directing you to one of the teaching styles mm. because then that adds you know more, more inspiration right and it and it and it makes it feel like um you know, you had some influence on what teaching style your your character is going to have, but it's mm-hmm. not just groping around in the dark looking at the teaching styles and saying, "Oh, I like this one, but I like that one." I don't know, like I was doing last night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, another thing is I wanted to focus more on, I guess I don't know how to say it exactly, but I guess problem solving. Um, as far as basically. This is supposed to be an academic version of a dungeon crawl, almost. Mm. Sort of. Like, so, you're supposed to be solving problems like you would solve, you know, dungeon puzzles in D&D, kind of. There's supposed to be that same creative energy going on. Oh, okay. You know, trying, and 
what I want is for the students to be able to uh, to basically set up challenges, you know, with their disability for the teachers to solve. And the teachers have to solve them with the resources that they have. Right. And there was some of that in your original draft of the game, right? Yeah. Yeah, there was some of that in the original. But yeah, I, I want that dungeon crawl feeling. It's not just called the dungeon because, you know, right. because of that. It's also reference to the kind of, you know, the spirit that I want to have in it. Right. Do you have some ideas of how to inject that back into the game? Well, yeah, I was thinking uh, basically tell the students more clearly that I know I was playing the student, but put in the in the rules more clearly that the students are supposed to be generating challenges for the mm -hmm. teachers, almost formalize it, you know. Right. And that goes back to something that Alex was saying about uh, like screen time. Yeah. Maybe if you have it framed based on you know how many challenges or whatever, the students frame for you. Oh. Okay. You know, everybody gets to frame a certain number of challenges. Then you go to a new scene. Yeah, I think that could be a good idea. I wonder if you could have mechanics, basically, if you could break the challenges down into components, almost the way that, like, you know, a trap list. If you if you ever looked at the traps section of the Dungeon Master Guide in third edition, the way it basically gave you um, the different pieces you could include in in a trap. Mm -hmm. You know, so you could build your own traps. If you could break like the behavioral problems that these students have down into components that the player that can then pick up and put together in order to make their own like breakdown, their own behavioral huh. flip out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that could definitely work. And I know that you've read enough like teaching pamphlets and like <laughs> shit on uh abnormal psychology that you might be able might have a well of knowledge to draw upon there yeah but i almost you know almost get that like osr feel of here's a chart and like you can take huh. stuff off this chart and use it to make your, the challenges in your dungeon Mm-hmm. yeah that, that actually sounds kind of cool um one other thing before i forget was to address the uh direction of the game i guess you know that it doesn't really have a direction um what i was thinking is basically first of all making the ieps more objective instead of subjective make them observe behaviors that you could you know basically make a check mark next to when you got it and there right. wouldn't be much of a dispute about it so it's like this kid you know comes in and does this X amount of times. Or this kid uh, responds this way X number, Y number of times, you know. Right. So you basically just check it off, and there wouldn't really be any any of the, uh, you know, consensus-type voting about how it would work. Uh, yeah, go on. Sorry. Oh, well, what I was thinking, uh, what if you use the IEP instead of, the, the scoring mechanism we had before, which was basically, you know, you, you decide how the teacher, how well the teacher did so that you can, uh, you know, assess them. Mm -hmm. What if your, uh, your IEP points basically went to some kind of resource that you could spend 
to improve conditions in the dungeon. So like basically the the more your class does well, you know, you raise test scores, they give you a little bit more, you know, money. Oh. Huh. You know, they they give you some kind of basically you get stuff from up top. Right. To help you out in the dungeon. I was thinking of having some kind of resource mechanic. That basically so that first of all, IEPs generate some kind of resource that you tally at the end of each scene. And then you spend that resource to buy shit, you know, that can help you accomplish your IEPs later. Right. So there's that sense of, like, leveling up and, uh, you know. And can you also use those resources to potentially bribe the students? Like yeah. pizza party, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that'd be something. When, when, when you're telling me that, though, it's just that that, that brings a, a bad taste in my mouth there because the um, – I really didn't mind what was going on when we played, and adding currency to it will just make people severely focus on the currency and try to manipulate that versus trying to actually act like their teachers. Because I think they already have an incentive, and that's not getting last place in the in the narrative. Yeah. Right, but if the IEP scoring system has changed, that might have changed. I mean, I think it depends on how the currency system is implemented. I It hasn't really changed that much, though. I mean, the it's changed in the sense that there's more of a, you know, of a, of a check mark, you got things completed, but it's still not, it still hasn't changed in the sense that um, you don't really have to make it a check mark system. It, it could just be more along the lines of, because really, when we were actually playing it, Rudy was the one who allowed uh, our our work to become fruitful. He he allowed it to happen. He could have been playing his character hardcore and still have been a dick the entire time, and none of us would have been able to get our objectives done. He allowed right. it to happen. So right. if you want to have that like you know that check mark, you know that that thing that says, "Hey, did we get this done?" There needs yeah. to be some kind of judgment call made where maybe you want to bring dice back into the system or maybe you want to bring cards into the system. You need, you need something in there to say whether or not the teachers had an impact on the student because right now the student has severe amounts of power. Right. And the teachers I mean, have very think, little. They have, they're mainly story framers. Right. Right. I think in a situation where they really are observable behaviors that happen in the classroom right. and where the, the student's player doesn't know exactly what behaviors are being tracked, and I think that's key, right. then you, you wouldn't have the same... You might have the problem to the same degree, especially if the student figured out what his IEP was, but that's good because he should be trying to figure it out you right. know, so that he can manipulate it. But I think as long as you can say character X did Y in this scene, in this actual scene, not they did it at home, not they did it before the scene, not they talked about it in the scene, but they did this in the scene. Mm. And you and you can, uh, you know, tie whether or not the IEP was, was completed based on that. I think it should be fine. And I really do like the idea of using those kind of observable behaviors in the IPs because it it really gets to that sense 
especially if it's tied to funding, to your financing, to your currency. It really gets at that no child left behind thing where we're trying to move towards more and more objective criteria for, for teaching students, for evaluating students' performance, even if that objective criteria is dumb. It's better that it be measurable and dumb than it be smart and subjective. <laughs> and, I, and I like that because it gets at something about how uh, education actually operates. So, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, how much power the students have over the teachers, I know that that was a problem. But um, I guess I kind of do want to keep in that element of, but I just want to remove the subjectiveness from that element. That's all I want to do, basically. If you follow me, uh, you know, like uh, basically quant things you can quantify is is what I want to see for, you know, IEPs. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, yeah, that's basically. Uh, so uh, yeah. that's that's even why I would encourage more to have, like, whenever teachers try to do something. Like when you make when the student makes their character, I think there should be more resistance. There there should be like a, like a in terms of like there should be some resolution besides a, the student saying, "Okay, I allow you to have this part of your reward." Right. That and right. that that and and by having by adding that piece, since the focus of the game is about the kids, and right. then the focus the other focus is about how how far the teachers are going to go in order to help the kid. It, it would be really important for for teachers because they already have their their line of attack. They already have their uh, operations set up. Mm-hmm. The student doesn't have a setup for his defense. It's just whatever the player wants to do. And so, if you want to get rid of the subjectiveness, besides you know the voting at the very end of whether or not we did it, you need to right. get rid of that. It's not like an if and or but. It's like if you don't get rid of that. You're still that that's still a huge amount of subjective behavior. Yeah, I I, I do I, I agree yeah. mostly. I think there has to be some definite tension there, like mm-hmm. with as Alex kind of said, with the students pulling in one direction and the teachers pulling in the other, and you really want that tension to come through in the mechanics. And I think if and I think it, if you can really find a way to enhance the mystery aspect of the IEP, maybe so that the student is always trying to figure out what that IEP says so that they'll have more power over the, of the student. I mean, the teacher, excuse me, the student's always trying to figure out what the IEP says, so they'll have more power over the student or the teacher, excuse me. And the teacher is always trying to, keep enough of the IEP secret so mm. that they can manipulate the student. Right. I think if you can, and it, you know, it, it will depend in part on how you execute it, but I think that's going to be key to the game functioning the way you want it to function, feeling the way you want it to feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, basically to address that concern, um, I think the the teachers should be given some some rules as far as things that they 
can do to resist the student, you know, or that kind of thing. Like, basically, I think the teacher is, when you become a teacher, you should get to pick from a list of some abilities of some kind. Either they're spells or they're, you know, something you can use to control these kids. Right. Because that, I noticed, like, in the playtest, there really wasn't a whole lot of, like, shit you guys could do to if my kid was just an asshole, you know? Yeah, there weren't many resources available to us. Yeah. And that's another thing I wanted the resources, the resource system to do, is basically, like, at the beginning, you know, there would be some currency to buy, you know, shit that you need. Mm -hmm. And then you would, you would buy stuff, hopefully, that would enhance your ability to do your IEPs and keep your IEPs secret. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would definitely help. Help address a lot of the stuff we were, we've been talking about. So, yeah, I think that's a good idea. So the question is, are we going to get an opportunity to play test this game again before September 1st? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I might have something ready by uh, tomorrow or Monday. Oh, cool. We can maybe get together earlier in the evening. We could probably try to do that. Yeah. Depending on Alex's schedule. But we can talk about that not on the podcast. Right. So is there anything else anyone wanted to say about the dungeon? No? Are we ready to move on then? Yep. All right. Well, by the time you listen to this podcast... The dungeon will either be available or be very close to being available. It will be up on our site, miserytourism.com, on September 1st. So just go to the blog, click on the Misery Tourism Games link, and you'll see the dungeon along with a bunch of other cool or not-so-cool games. Okay. Right. So... Pitches. Pitches, yeah. bitches. My bitches. Okay. Uh, now, I want to read what... Um, I want to read what Steve Mathers actually requested. Because right. I feel like... I don't know. Because I want, I want to focus this conversation. Because there's a lot that we can talk about pitching your game and this is a conversation that a lot of people have been talking have been having it's a conversation that a lot of people have been having right now uh how do you get people to play test your games how do you yeah. get people to read your games how do you get people yeah. interested in your games i mean this is a conversation we're always having but i know dan ruzchak made a post about it on google plus recently that got quite a lot of responses so anyway Dan the man. Dan. Dan the man. Maruschak. Yes. Maruschak man. Maruschak man. Maruschaker. I don't know. So anyway, Stephoid says, uh, Steve Mather says, I found the game text talk pretty interesting, and personally, I would love to hear a discussion on pitches, which was touched on in that discussion. And then Alec asks him for clarification. And Steve says, I mean, what hooks you to want to look at a game and investigate further? You've got one post, 
or one web page view to describe a game and why the reader should care and want to play it. So, yeah. how the fuck do you do that? I have to say that maybe we're not the best ones to <laughs> give advice <laughs> on this topic. Uh, well, so how, how, how about we how about we do the thing that gets everyone else to uh, listen to their game, and let me let, let me go off the list. It's a <laughs> hack of monster uh, apocalypse world. It <laughs> involves the a popular game that everyone likes, like Dungeons and Dragons, and then after that they name it close to something you already know, like Dungeon World. There you go. That's how you pitch your game. Well, I mean. <laughs> I think you do have a point there, though. Familiarity is a big part of pitching a game. Being able to say, this is like that. Hey, you know this. This is like that. (laughs) You know, to be able to make people feel comfortable that the game they are about to play is not going to be a totally alien and frustrating and hostile experience. And a lot of times people do that by making in overt or not-so-overt comparison to an existing game or to a television show or to a book or to a movie or to a genre, you know, all those things that people can connect to. People can say, oh, this is like something else that I enjoy. That will often, and I mean, it happens to me, too. If you were to tell me I've made the Breaking Bad RPG, I would be like, holy shit, I want to play it now. I, <laughs> let's cook some meth, guys. <laughs> uh, that That's definitely... Um, see, like, the biggest problem I always had with something like that is that it implies that the thing that you want to talk about is something that the person is going to enjoy to begin with. The reference you're going to make versus the actual content. Because if you say to me, hey, you know, do you want to play my game? It's just like the TV show Leverage. Well, I don't like that show. So now you just gave me a good reason not even to want to play your game versus actually reading the content of the book. Oh, so you're saying that appeals yeah. to that kind of familiarity can actually drive people away in some instances. Uh, Yeah, it's not kind of. It has, you know, because when uh, freaking, I mean, that as, as a personal reference, me saying a uh, joke, uh, me referencing Nazis drove a lot of people away uh, from, <laughs> this from, from this podcast, if, uh, let alone, yeah. you know, even though if they actually read the contents of it, they would realize that uh, there was nothing bad said. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think those are both good points because um, you have to make the material familiar enough that people are like, they can get their head around it, but you have to make it different enough so that even people who aren't like genre diehards or whatever, or fans of the show or fans of the book or whatever can, you know, get into it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was getting at. Yeah, that's true. That's a fine line to walk sometimes, I guess. Yeah. And especially with some RPGs that are very specifically designed to emulate a very specific kind of fiction or a very specific kind of of, of narrative. Mm-hmm. That can be tricky. And I mean, the other argument is, well, you know, this is a game designed for people who like 
to use Alex's example, who like the series Leverage, and that's my audience. And I'm hoping that there are enough people out there who really love the series Leverage that, you know, that my game will succeed whatever success is in their eyes, you know, based on that. Right. But I think, okay, so that's the obvious way to do it, right? That's how a lot of games mm-hmm. in the indie community get sold. But there has to be more to your pitch than that, right? There has to be more ways to get people interested and engaged than simply saying, oh, this thing is like the other thing. Here is something, and you can tell me whether or not you think this makes for a more or less effective pitch. The mention of a controversial topic, a controversial piece of subject matter, like saying, oh, this game is about racism. This game is about this game is about pedophilia. This game is about sexual violence. Sold. Well, that's what I say. But, yeah. you, but you, you think, I mean, the argument for saying that is, I mean, hopefully you're making that game because you really wanted to make the game. But the, the argument for pitching the game like that is, it's going to grab people. People are going to hesitate. People are going to say, wait, what? Did they, they made a game about that? And then, you know, they'll be um, motivated. They'll be more motivated to look at it because of that sense of fascination. Because maybe it's a little bit of voyeurism. Maybe it's a little bit of, like, the idea that this thing is, they've entered into forbidden subject, uh, forbidden subject area now. And there's some fascination there. But is that how it actually functions? Does that work? Um, very few times. It's the the the, the problem with the, for the, the the these two examples that, that were given so far is it's not really used to entice a broader audience. It's not ter- it's not used to uh, highlight things hmm. that are of quality with the uh, with your pitch. It's usually those those things are usually done to to divide and and make a make a uh, a niche you know as in right. like you know th- th- this is done to classify your game not to uh encourage people to 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 look at it right because because I mean, if it's something you're looking for like if you say i am looking for women that have open toed uh shoes that are digging <laughs> ditches and burying bodies that is a very high focused right. search, and there's not going to be a lot that does it, and there's not going to be a lot of people who search for it. But because you defined yourself so damn much by saying this is what this game is like, this is what this game includes, that's what ends up happening. And so you'll highlight it, but you'll probably get less people to actually want to play it. It's true, but an argument could be made that in a in a market that is as overcrowded as the RPG market, especially the indie RPG market, and in a market that has such a high ratio of designers to consumers that you need to do something right off the bat to define and distinguish your game before anyone's even going to notice it to think about playing it. And that that act of, of finding that niche 
or of really clearly saying my game is this may not maybe it will scare some people away but it might be necessary to get people leading looking at all well, yeah. well that, that that's the point that i was trying to make is that's exactly what will happen is uh, it, it will divide but it will highlight the division right so and instead of instead of having no one hear it be, or no one read it because you know you didn't uh, put in those choice words for people to see and go yo what the fuck or like you know oh that's awesome by 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 uh, by not doing that you uh, you don't get the attention that you think your product deserves but like ultimately what I would the the only like the greatest things I would recommend is. Um, if you don't make a bland game, it's high. It's harder for you to, you know, become bland and become unnoticed. Yeah. Mm. Well, See, because that's the thing. Like, I know that's a very generic thing to say in terms of like it's easy to say that. It's hard to actually do it. But the more unique you make your game, the easier it is to actually sell the idea, to pitch the idea to somebody. Because like I'll I'll just make my example because I I put I mean put, even put that up on that post that you know that. You know that Steve did in order to uh, you know help us talk about this. When I made the suggestion that you know this was a game that actually encouraged you to go outside and look at the world around you, when mm-hmm. I actually said that, that's a really unique pitch because that's what the game's about. So highlighting the the actual uniqueness of the game mm-hmm. is probably a better pitch than saying this is just this is a cookie cutter stamp of everything that you've already seen before you, these are similarities of everything mm. that you already know. By highlighting what's actually good about the product and or, or or what's actually what makes it special amongst the rest of them. By doing that, you're more likely to get a broader audience and you're le- you're less likely to get diversity. In terms of like, okay. you know, div- as in like I hate this or I love it. You're less likely for that to happen if your product is actually mm. unique. Okay. Rudy, what were you saying? Well, I think uh, the voyeuristic thing definitely can go either way. (laughs) Because it's like, when people are doing voyeurism, they want to stay, like, behind the glass. They don't want to go in there, you know, with the animals and shit. Right. You know, they don't want to be on the, you know, big black dicks, uh, porno, triple X, whatever. They don't want to be doing that. They don't want to be in the video. They want to be watching the video. They want to be watching it. Yeah. So I think you have to be really careful how you uh, how you pitch a game that has controversial material in it to make sure that you let them know that there's a game there too. You know, and it's not just, you know, you're trying to make a statement or you're trying to mm-hmm. do whatever. And also, I, I think it depends on really what the game is about. Because, you know, a game about pedophilia, that could be many things. I mean, you could have a game about the victims uh, dealing with it. Or you could have a game about, you know, playing pedophile. And I think the last, the latter one would probably be less likely to appeal to people <laughs> than the, the former. Right. What do you mean? Because... <laughs> But just because of the nature of, you know, yeah. So voyeurism, <laughs> I think, goes both ways. 
Yes. That's true. That's true. And I, I think, and Rudy was getting at this, that what I've discovered about using controversial material to pitch your game is it may be a good way to get people looking at your game, but it's not necessarily a good way to get people playing your game. Right. Because one thing about the pitch is that distinguishes an RPG pitch from any other pitch that I can think of is that the pitch itself has to be viral in a way, by which I mean that you are not just trying to tell one dude. You're not trying to tell the reader of your pitch or the listener of your pitch to buy my product, to just you alone go out, watch my TV show, read my book, watch the movie. You're trying to tell them, go out, get two to four of your friends and sell them on playing this game. It's, right. it's a pyramid scheme. Really. Yeah. Um, and you're trying, you're trying to get them to do that because otherwise, if they, they just like your game, if they just enjoy reading your game, your game still doesn't get played. It doesn't get play tested. Right. And it never, and then it never, it really never leaves the room because so much of what happens in, in this community, especially, is based on word of mouth. So if no one, even if someone sits down and enjoys reading your game, if they don't have the experience of playing your game, they're probably not going to talk about it. So then, so if they, if you can't frame that pitch in such a way that they can take it and they feel, they, first of all, can repeat it to their friends, they can understand what's cool about it and then repeat yeah. that in their own words to their friends in order to sell the game. And unless they feel comfortable doing that, which right. might be a problem with, say, some of our games, <laughs> then you've got a problem. Right. Yeah, I think you really hit it on the head there because, like, when your pitch involves, like, you know, certain evil-type buzzwords, like, you know, this pitch has the word pedophile on it, people are going to, you know, kind of tend to struggle away from that, drink away from, you know, wanting to play stuff like that. Um, because just because it's, as you said, it's hard to pitch it to your friends. Yeah. It's hard to be like, well, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be like, well, you know, you want to play this creepy game with me that I found on the internet somewhere. And they're like, well, what kind of creep are you, you know? Yeah, right. That, that's, you're, there's always, there's a lot of social pressure in the RPG scene. And that's like, that's like 90% of like getting a game going is the social pressure. Right. I mean, games stay going because people are putting pressure on other people to show up and be there right. a lot of the time. So I mean, I think I think that, uh, that that voyeurism thing is definitely a double-edged sword, and uh, the the way the words you have to use to pitch the game, the the words you have to use to sell the game to people, you know, the way you the words you have to use to condense the game into a single concept. You know, mm. if they ask, you know, what's a sentence that could describe this game? Right. Because a sentence is so small, you know, you're going to, some words are really going to stick out, you know? <laughs> yes. So, I mean, I guess that that's just how it works. Yeah. So, 
putting aside the, I mean, this conversation has kind of drifted into our games, which are which are in some ways very different from the kinds of games that some of our listeners are designing. You know, we have unique hurdles that we have to clear because of the content that is in our games. But let's say let, let's say you have Steve Mather's game, Ingenero. And that has already cleared Alex Swingle's hurdle of it being a quality game, right? This is a mechanically unique, well-designed game that is appealing to play and that doesn't use existing games as a crutch in order to sell itself. And it contains... It does not need to contain any offensive content. And it really could never be sold as an offensive of game. So all that's out of the way. How would you try to pitch a game like Ingenero? I well, would... I think, okay, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Alex. No, dude, really, you're oh. doing it. Alright. I think, like Alex said, basically focus on the uniqueness. Because that's something a lot of RPGs don't really do. Like, uh, a lot of the pitches in RPGs kind of get lost in that you know, what what is this, you know, type of thing? Like, is this, like, this is based on this book or this movie? Or do you like this book, this movie, then you'll like this? They kind of get lost in, like, explaining what they are as opposed to explaining what's unique about them. Mm. So, I mean, to pitch in general, I just basically say how you know, unique it is and mention the system in there. Yes. Because that's something else that never really comes up a lot of the times. Like, you can go on Indie Press Revolution and <laughs> go to, you know, tons of different games and see nothing about mechanics. You can see what genre it is, what it's about, sometimes what statement it wants to make, but sometimes there's, like, nothing about mechanics. Yeah. But if you go to a game like uh, like Dread, you know, it's like, it says Django Blocks right in the thing. So it's like, Django Blocks. I mean, how the fuck do you do that? You know? <laughs> I mean, right. That, that basically, I mean, but, that... Uh, and then you want to play. You want exactly. to say, you say, how do you do that? Exactly. You're like, well, how did they how did they come up with that? And that's what you really want to you want to get people to say about your game is, boy, how did they think of that in your pitch? Right. Yeah, because the, the, for me, like, the bottom line with some of those kind of pitch styles of, like, why they're not really effective... I mean, and they're only effective if the examples you're giving are extremely popular. If you give examples of, like, this is, um, actually, no, Twin Peaks is a, is something people actually like. Um, but I was saying, if you like, give, like, a TV <laughs> show or a movie that no one really cares for, like, like this. Like, South? Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Hurts my heart. I've been talking in the background about how much I love that show. And uh, anyways, yeah. but if they, if they talk about like a movie like Hard Target or, you know, you know, shit like that, <laughs> if and I don't mean because I actually the movie's fine. It's not it's not garbage to me, but, you know, people think it's a bad movie. And so when when that happens or anything by Mr. Van Damme himself, um, <laughs> except for Bloodsport, of course, that's the greatest movie ever, ever, ever made. Um, yeah. But basically, if you make references to that kind of stuff. You are backing, you are hoping that the reference you make is good enough to uh, mm-hmm. have people even give a crap about it. Uh, and then, but the, but the thing is, if you focus on 
the actual game and like what it's supposed to be about, um, you're, you're probably going to get more people who are interested because I got to be honest with you. Um, let's see here. Let the, why don't we take other products that are actually being made and sold and produced? Mm-hmm. What do they do that's different from the RPG world? They give facts. Mm. For example, if you buy a computer, do you want someone to describe you how magically wonderful it's going to be? <laughs> no. The experience of owning a computer. Although, yeah. I that's mean, how Apple, Apple does it. Yeah, that's what I would say. And the thing is, you get a specific niche market who doesn't know any better. But you also get billions of dollars because most of the people who are buying shit don't know any better. The, 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 but, that, but anyway, your point. Sorry. The, but I'm saying that the entire market share of the of that entire business revolves around people stating the facts of how their computers work. They give you the information of the CPU. They give you the information of the RAM. Well, kind of vaguely because no one gives a shit about RAM. And you know, in the <laughs> video card. They actually tell you the things that matter when you have that experience. So, why don't you do the same thing for your actual game? Why don't you give us the information that matters when it comes well, to actually playing the game? The resolution system matters. Okay. The character creation matters. And the setting care- creation matters. Because everything else in between can be made up as you go. Those three things can make or break any system. So I'm hearing very similar things from Rudy and Alex then, that pitches should be more focused on mechanical content and less focused on tone and atmospheric content, which is a place we've gone before. We've talked about this in terms of the of game text, you know, as a whole. Mm. I think that I don't know. I don't know what I think. Uh, if I were pitching in Gennaro, which happens to be a generic game, not generic in the sense of being a knockoff, but generic in the way that GURPS is generic. It's a, it's a system designed to run many different types of games in many different settings. Right. I think that I would... I See, the thing is, in the current community, generic that kind of genericness is seen as a vice rather than a virtue, unfortunately. Yeah. Which I think is sad, especially since Ingeniero isn't just another way to play a GURPS game. It, it's a generic narrative system. It's about generic storytelling not generic die rolling, you know. Right. It's very, and it has very ingenious, I guess is the best word for it, <laughs> mechanics that are designed to move the story forward and that are designed to complicate the story in a way that keeps play moving very smoothly. But how do you pitch that? How do you say this is a really elegant, ingenious game with very with very um, with mechanics that work basically with mechanics that work very well with seamless mechanics? 
I mean, you can say that, but everyone's going to say that about their mechanics. So how do you get that mechanical information in there in a few sentences without it being too dry or too complicated? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's so easy to do when your game is like, say, Dread, and you can say Jenga blocks, yeah. you know? Or it's like these uh, game mentors, and you can say Pictionary. Again, that's an appeal both to a commonly un- to commonly understood games, and there also uh, appeals to uniqueness, where the uniqueness of the game and the mechanics are ap- immediately apparent. But what do you do when you have a system that is a dice system, but is an extremely unique dice system? Mm-hmm. How do you sell that? Well, mm. that's why people sell a story when their shit is very similar yeah. to everyone else's. I'm, I'm just saying that that's that's just that's really the bottom line. That's why a lot of pitches, especially when it comes to the RPG world, a lot of them use the atmosphere because a lot of their stuff is very similar to everyone else's stuff, or it's so universally like you know, there's no real focus on it. Like you know. Like, you know, Steve's game, because we're, we're just going to be using him. He's the focal point of this thing, since he asked us the question. Who, um, Steve who? <laughs> jobs. Oh, Steve Mathers. I'm sorry. I, I don't know That's where I jobs. was. Yeah, let, okay, yeah, talking about Ingeniero. But yeah, but since, since he's the one that asked the question, we're going to go full on with the answer. Can we edit that out? Oh, that moment no. of like dementia, of dementia on my yeah. part. <laughs> no, this is Lying a verite. Go fuck yourself, Will. Okay. Um, so. <laughs> I really didn't mean that, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So no, but since since yeah, since he's uh, he, since he's asking, I'm going to give him the an- our, our answer here, at least try to, is because his system has no theme and has no atmosphere in the book itself. It's all about you create the atmosphere and here's an easy system to use it with is you need to highlight those specific portions and highlighting that is, can be difficult based on how you want to try and say those words. Um, what I would try and do is instead of saying like, this is a universal system that could do anything is you use that atmosphere stuff that all the other people are using, mm-hmm. but you use that to try and reference, like, this is what this system could do. Like, mechanical atmosphere? As in, like, you say, have you ever wanted to play a game that allowed you to do this while also oh. doing this? And then you oh. say, this game will let you do this. Okay. Because yeah. you're giving the facts, but you're, tell- you're pitching a story at the same yeah. time. Yeah, that's a good point. But, but that's that's the whole point, though. Whatever you're doing, focus on the facts, and if your system doesn't have its own theme, you need to paint the theme. Because, you know, uh, the pitch is a selling form. It's an art form in itself. Right. And so you have to respect that form. Because if you don't, people are not going to give you the attention your game may deserve. Right. And, and with him, I, I totally would recommend... That instead of saying, like, just purely, this is a vacuum, it sucks up this much, you know, dust per minute, uh, like, you put, put, go like, you see the vacuum, 
look at the royal French leather, you know, on on the side here, and notice the highlights, like you know, around the curves. And guess what? It sucks up this much per minute, because right. that because that's the main point of the entire story is this is what it does. But because yes. people uh, like to be romanced into buying something or into even downloading something, they like to, they like to be uh, wooed. You have to tell them those parts. You have to tell them the parts that will get them, like, you know, get their heart on going. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that, I, that's that's totally what I... I if, 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 if a boil, the conversation boils down to that, really. I mean, you have... we uh, At least we identified what real things are with the pitch. That's what right. you need to do. Whatever your content is, you need to you need to focus on certain aspects of those three categories because right. other than that the only thing you can do is like what Rudy and Will said before is just say play my fucking game bro you owe me one <laughs> yeah so pressure yeah saying this is what my game can do I, I think that was a really good point communicating this is what my game is capable of specifically right. And I think that is a way that you can get the mechanics across in a simple, direct way, even if your mechanics aren't necessarily simple and direct. Or also you could just be lucky and um, get a contract to work on a popular piece of fiction already. That's, yeah, a, really, that's a really easy way to sell your games. Burning Empires. You were <laughs> <laughs> no. just not going to let... Uh, Oh, now I forgot his name. Crane. Crane. Luke Crane. Off the hook. So, oh, no, 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 uh, sorry. Dresden Files. Smallville. I'll yeah. just start stat. I'll just start naming things. Adam's Family RPG. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't actually made that, by the way, but there you go. <laughs> I would <You're>, play that. <laughs> Alex, are you hoping to score that license? <laughs> you know they're making a remake of the Monsters. Yeah, Monsters yep. RPG. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but yeah, so you could be hacky and just do that. That's an easy way to, to get people to pay attention to your game. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily being a hack. I mean, fuck, if someone told me you can make the, uh, once again, the Breaking Bad RPG, I'd be like, fuck yes. Give me that license, motherfucker. I'll take it. You know? I'm talking about in terms of pitching it to other people, oh. not because of right. you like Right, that it's easy to pitch a game like that. Yes. Right. So just do that, and you're golden. All these other rules, you don't even have to pay attention to. All these other advice, I mean, you don't even have to pay attention to. Just just do that. Just make it be, make it easy for yourself. And just have <laughs> have someone important just lay you a golden, you know, a golden you know, goose right on your lap. <laughs> Right, exactly. Vince Gilligan, if you're listening, huh? Huh? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm done. <laughs> Without further ado, okay. like, you guys want to add anything else to it? <laughs> I think I think we've said what we need to say. Um, yeah. Maybe play our games, like guys. Come on, bro. Could, you know you please? want to. <laughs> I, actually, here's an idea that I had. Um, that I was going to suggest outside of the podcast for approval, but what the fuck? I was thinking, what if we made it our policy to post any and all actual play reports that we receive on mm. the blog, along with a link to the you know the website or whatever of the person who played it? So someone 
could submit a and, and encourage people to make it interesting. Like send us a story of how you got convinced your game, your group to play this game and what happened, no matter how awful it turned out. Or record a YouTube video and we'll embed the YouTube video where you tell us like, man, I got my friends to sit down and play Needs of the Few and they were like, sexual abuse in space? I don't know. You know, and then whatever happens. And then we'll link, you know, we'll give you, we'll, your actual play report will go right up on the main site, get its own blog post, and we'll link to, you know, your website. I totally your... recommend doing the thing that I suggested about six months ago. Did you really suggest this? As in I suggested, hey, let's start putting stuff on the blog that are is not just the podcast. Let's do more oh, of that. I was talking about Misery Tourism Games. I'm talking about both then. Okay. Yeah, we can do it on both. But, I mean, there's nothing really for people to play. Like, Mom's Basement. Like, send us your actual play reports. But... <laughs> you you actually playing in your mom's basement. Actually, yes, if you want to send us a video of you playing a game in your mother's basement, totally. Those will go right up. But your mom has to be in it. Or at least some kind of proof that you're playing in your mother's basement and not your friend's basement, or your own basement. Or your breakfast nook. Yes. Breakfast nook, yeah. As a reference earlier in the podcast, uh, Will, they recorded an episode in their in the mother's nook. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm sure you know how that sound is. It sounded just like every other episode. So without further ado, let's get this fucking done okay. so I can actually yeah. edit this thing. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, microphone coming out? <laughs> yes. Oh shit. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye. Peace out, peaches. Yep. Goodbye. <laughs>